Good morning, church. First off, I got to say thank you, everybody, for allowing me to preach today. I was really thankful when uh, Pastor Travis asked me a few weeks ago. He says, hey, um, I'm going to be gone, and I was actually wondering if you'd be willing to preach. And I was like, yeah, sure, why not? Let's, let's see how that goes. Um, just so you know a little bit about me, I'm not just some random guy that's walked off the street or even just some person that just sits in the front and you see me raising my hands and worshiping God and everything. Um, I've actually gone to school for uh, youth ministry, so I've actually uh, graduated from that, and my big, my big heart is, is youth ministry. So I've been working with uh, Pastor Ian with the youth group and everything like that uh, every Sunday at 6.30. If anybody has any youth kids, teenagers, we're more than welcome to come at the South Gorham campus. We'd love to have you. So that's my big heartbeat. So if you'll notice, um, I might actually be saying things a couple of different ways, a couple different times. That's usually so that the youth can kind of get it into their heads and understand it. So if you notice that, I'm not saying it because I'm being repetitive. It's mainly because that's just my style of preaching. Um, but I'm really excited. But before I really jump in and dive in, I, I do want to pray for us and myself to calm my nerves and everything like that. Uh, God, I thank you so much for, for who you are and for your goodness. And I thank you for this opportunity to, to bring your word and to be your mouthpiece. And God, I pray that you would touch your people today that my words would be your words and that would fall on their hearts, God. I thank you so much. In your holy and precious name, I pray. Amen. So we're going to be jumping into Colossians uh, 3, 12 to 17. That's where we're going to be mainly out of. The title of my sermon today is called, We Are Called. Um, so when, when Travis asked me, he was going, you, obviously he's been going through the, the book of Acts, and that's where he was at. And I didn't know if he wanted me to kind of stick with that momentum or be in that space. So I was like, okay, let me, let me start going through Acts. Maybe I'll, I'll check that out. And one day during service, I was sitting here, and Acts 24 jumped in my, into my head. And my wife looks over at me and goes, what are you doing? Pay attention to the service. I'm like, oh, sorry. And, and so I later on go, go back and, I, and I'm going through it and I'm like, okay, there's nothing necessarily here. But Paul is traveling at that time. Paul is going through, uh, he's a prisoner at that point. He's being, going to be taken to, to Rome. And so basically he, he was just going and traveling all to these different areas. So I'm like, all right, where is he writing to or where is he writing from? come to find out a lot of where we're going to be going to is actually in Colossians. So that's where, where brought me to Colossians. So Colossians 3, 12 to 17 is where we're going to be at. But just so we, we know, Paul wrote, was writing to this church, and he wasn't actually, he didn't actually plant this church. He was actually just helped by this church. He was loved by this church. So he was trying to, to write a letter back to them, just saying, thanking them for all, all of these things. So he had a friend with him. His friend's name was Epaphras. Epaphras was actually um, the person that helped out Paul during that time and was actually the one that delivered this letter to the people of Colossae. So some people actually believed that um, Epaphras was actually the one to write or to, to plant that church in Colossae. So that was, that was his big heartbeat. Epaphras gave him this news, and this news basically, it was, uh, they were doing great. They, 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 this church was doing such a good job. They were very well. They loved each other. They, they were very kind-hearted. Some of the actual things that um, Epaphras, like, uh, or excuse me, Paul says about them, he says that the church is steadfast in faith. Good Christian, good Christian fruit is being produced through them, and also that they they love each other in Christ. But Paul was very proactive whenever he wrote to the people at that time. And in Colossae, he knew something was looming about. 
He knew something was coming around. He knew that during that time that there was false teaching going on in Colossae and, and really almost all of Rome. So he knew something w- w- was going on. He knew something was coming around. So what ends up happening, uh, Paul warns the people. And, and actually, before we actually get into the, before we actually see in our, in our scripture, he mentions a couple different things to, to just prove and to say that this is truth. Whatever you're hearing else is not truth. This is truth. He talks about actually and, and points out the supremacy of Christ and his, all, his authority, his ability to be over all things, essentially, is what, what um, one of the things that Paul talks about. And then he also talks about Christ's role in creation. Christ was always there. from Just the same as God, he was there from the beginning to the end. He's not just the son. He didn't just come out of nowhere. He was always there. He was part of the unit. He was part of the trinity. And then he talks about the humanity and the divinity of Christ. Because at that point in time, there was uh, things going around that said the flesh, like our skin, our, our flesh, our, our, our sinful nature was bad, obviously. Our sinful nature is bad, but he's talking about the actual flesh was bad. So that they believed and they were saying that Christ wasn't a human being. Christ was actually a spirit that came down and he walked among people but was never touched by these people. But obviously we know he, he touched people, he does, he, he does healings, he touched people, and, and all those things were done. So he, he tries to explain, no, 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 Christ was also 100% man as much as he was 100% God. And then he also talks about our freedom in Christ, freedom as Christians. Because at that time, a lot of people were actually trying to, to put all of these rules around the Christians at that point in time. There, there were uh, Jewish believers that were starting to become Christians that said, oh no, you have to practice the Jewish faith. You have to do this and this and this, and then you will be seen good in God's eyes. But, but Paul was saying, no, 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 no. They, they, you don't need those rules. Those are not the rules that are necessary to, to, li- to, to be a Christian. You don't need to live those rules. You've already been redeemed by the blood of Christ. You've already been set free, so you don't necessarily need those rules. But he does talk about saying, but be aware of your sinful nature. Abstain from sin. That doesn't give you freedom to sin, but it means to be careful to stay away from sin. So you do have freedom, but don't be so, as we would probably say, legalistic in our, in our view. So now that we know a little bit about what's going on, a little bit about the situation, the places, and, and, and the history there, let, let's look at the writing and let's look at Colossians 3, 12 to 17. So we're going to be reading, I'm going to be reading out of the ESV. It says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and, admo- and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I absolutely love this scripture. I went, I went through Colossians a couple times, and I'm like, okay, where, 
where, where is my heartbeat? Where, where do I really want to preach from? And this, this one stuck out to me, and I don't know why, but then I realized I actually had the bones of a sermon from when I was actually in college. I kind of went through this, a little bit of the scripture, and I was like, oh, I like this part, I like that part, and I was like, okay, okay, oh. And I looked back, and I texted my wife. She was worried about me preaching. Um, and she goes, uh, she, I texted her, I'm like, oh, hey, I actually found out that I have a little bit of a structure already. And she was like, good job. I'm so proud of you. I'm like, yes, yes, all I really, really care about. Um, but he was so intentional in his words. Paul is very intentional. When he's writing to, the, his, to his uh, churches and to people, he, there's a point that he's actually trying to make, and he uses specific words to, to really kind of resonate with his people, to really try to prove a point, to drive something. And you might not have seen it, but you, it's something that we're going to touch upon. It's the first verse. In verse 12, he says, We are called holy and beloved. It's the first thing. We are called holy and beloved. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. So first off, I got to say, you are all holy and beloved. I don't know if anybody has told you that today, but you are holy and beloved in the eyes of Christ. Those are strong words. And we miss something there if we don't actually go into the language and the way that Paul is saying these words and the intensity of these things. And you also miss something because there's a verse before this that he lists different kinds of people as well. And we'll jump into that in just a second. But let's look at the actual language. So there's one word that we might be familiar with, beloved. Now, in the, the original Greek language, what they're using here, he actually uses the word agapo. Now, agapo does sound very familiar to us. If you've been a Christian for quite a while, you might know agape, it's a brotherly love. Um, agapo here, he's talking about a dearly love, the sincerity. He says you, you, he's trying to demonstrate a dear love for his people. He's trying to demonstrate such uh, intense and sincere love that you are to God and to him. And then we also have hagias, or holy, is how, how we translate it now and how we see it with, that Paul uses. Here he means to be, you can almost translate it in a different way, to be separated or to be set apart. So now when we think about that, when you're holy, you're separated, you're set apart, that means you're designated for a different use. That means you're not necessarily um, just being used for, some, for one thing, but you're designated for something else. We are called, we are holy, we are beloved. He sincerely and dearly loves us. God sincerely and dearly loves us and he sees us as set apart and to be used for something so much more. Maybe you don't know your purpose quite yet. Maybe you're in a place where you think you're older. I love what, what Pastor Travis said he, he was, uh, a couple weeks ago and says, if you have breath in your lungs, you, are, you can be used by God. And that's so true. That's so true because where, wherever you are in life, God can use you, whether it is in a secular job or if it's actual ministry. You don't have to be a pastor to do ministry. You don't have to be a pastor to do God's work, to be his hands and his feet, because God set you apart and placed you in a place to be a light, to be holy, to be set apart. Now, if you look at the verse before, like I was talking about, he lists a whole bunch of different people and different kinds of people at that point in time. 
And those people he lists off are, one of them is the Gentiles, so non-Jews, people probably like you and me that don't necessarily practice the Jewish traditions, but are, are just coming into to the, the knowing knowledge of Jesus Christ, so non-Jews. And then you also have the circumcised and the uncircumcised. Also another way to kind of say Gentiles or non-Jews, probably a little bit nicer in a manner of speaking. Um, so it's just to designate them. One's once again that practice the Jewish traditions. And then you have barbarians. Now when I thought of barbarians, I thought of people that eat with their hands and, and destroyed this, the, the, that would plunder all of these towns. And like, I thought one of those feasts that you just all of a sudden had all this stuff coming down your face. And I'm like, okay, maybe that's not necessarily somebody I would think is holy and beloved. But at that point, that would actually mean someone who was considered uncultured, didn't speak Latin or Greek. And then he has another person that was a little bit more intense, similar to barbarians. They're called Scythians. Scythians are also similar to barbarians, but they're even considered to be more uncultured. So then I thought that same picture of the barbarians a little bit even more intense. So they were coming into my house and taking everything I had and destroying my house and probably setting it on fire. So those are the kind of people that he was writing to. So similar to, to the barbarians being uncultured. So I think about that and I'm like, wait a minute, Paul, those people don't really sound that holy or beloved. Because I know to me, that's not something I, that I think of when I think of holy and beloved. But the thing is, Paul and God uses those words for, different, for another people as well. And you can actually see that in Deuteronomy 14.2. It says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God, and the Lord has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession and all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. He's talking about the Jews there in Deuteronomy. That's the Old Testament. Now here's the thing. He does say at the end of that verse, he says, out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, you are holy and beloved. He's comparing us to the Jews at that point in time because he's talking about the adoption that has occurred at that point. That Jesus died on the cross so that no longer would we have to make the sacrifices. No longer would we have to just go to one person to, to ask for forgiveness. But now we have a personal time that we can actually be with God. That we don't have to go into the holy of holies, but we can go right inside our, our, our back room of our office or our job place and be able to pray to God and have a straight microphone to Jesus Christ. Because he is our mediator. He is our high priest. See, when he does that, he's at, when he talks about that, he's, doing, he's saying that we've been adopted. We've been folded into to this, to this if you, in a manner of speaking, this club. Because now we are all part of the same family. We are all of this family that have this freedom and have this ability to praise God. And what's interesting is that Paul also lists out some characteristics here of Christians as well. So in a manner of speaking, he lists out the, the, this list for, to show how Christians should be or how uh, the, the fruit, in a manner of speaking, that, that Christians should bear. So he saw, talks about compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, and bearing with one another, all of which can be a sermon in itself. You can go into that and you can probably unbatch and just really make a sermon in, in, in just those, those topics itself. 
However, there is one that Paul says is amongst all others. There's one that's really, when you put it on over all of these things, it's so much more important. And it's love. It's, it's, it's talking about, uh, excuse me, forgiveness. It's, it's what has already been given to us. We are called to forgive. We are called to replicate this. And how important it is to, for us to forgive. So look at verse 13. If one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Now when you think about this, it, for people, and for any even, I can even probably say for myself, forgiveness is difficult. It's not necessarily something that you want to do, but it's, you know, it's something that you should do. And sometimes we don't necessarily want to forgive because if we forgive, that probably means we're going to forget. And if we forget, we might make that same mistake and we end up with egg on our face. There's something wrong there. So the thing is, is forgiveness should be second nature because it's been given to us already. And Paul is expecting that. Even, even Jesus is expecting that. Paul uses the word for forgiveness here as charisma. Uh, here in this letter to, to demonstrate forgive. Charisma can also be translated to mean bestow, to give, or to deliver. So when you think about bestow, give, or deliver, a lot of those things almost seems to say freely or just automatically or done completely. We should be willing to freely give our forgiveness to others, no matter how hard it might be and how bad they might have wronged us. Even Peter asked, <laughs> even Peter who walked with Jesus, who was with Jesus, says, well, well, Jesus, and we see it in Matthew 18, 21 to 22. Well, Jesus, how many times should I forgive my brother? Seven times? And Jesus goes, no, 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 Seven, 77 times. And the thing is, is, Jesus is not saying, you're only supposed to forgive people 77 times. So if, if 78, pff, you don't, don't forgive them anymore after that. He's trying to say 77 times because that means it should be countless it shouldn't, be, it shouldn't matter how many times they hurt us. It doesn't matter how many times they wronged you. You should continue to forgive them because it's freely given to you. And I thought that's interesting because you think, that's tough. Maybe that's not something I want to do. I think, I honestly think back on my mother. Um, before I was born, my mother actually had some grievances with some of uh, my father's family members that hurt her. And really just, it, it, it stunk her real bad. And when I was born, I came into that mix. And then all I heard was all the stories and the things that they did wrong and, and things like that. And, I, and I'm like, Ma, don't you understand? Like, if we're Christians, you have to forgive them. And I, to me, it just made sense. To me, I, did, I didn't understand why, why it was so tough for her to do. I'm like, it just made sense. I'm like, come on, Ma, you, you can't just hold on to this for years on end because I'm talking about maybe 20 years that she's holding on to this grievance. And I said, no, 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 you, you have to forgive them because God forgave you. I mean, that makes sense, Mom. What, what, why, what don't you get about it? But it was difficult because it hurt and it, was, and, and it, and it stung. And she didn't want to do it. It wasn't until closer to the end of her life that God really started to change her. 
that God really broke that wall and said, no, I need you to forgive them. They've wronged you, yes. They've done these bad things to you, yes. But here's the thing. You've done bad things to me too. You've done bad things to God. We've all done bad things to God. But he's chosen to forgive us. He's forgiven us. And because of that, we're set free. We're able to pray to him. We're able to worship him. We're able to give him honor and glory and all of these things. So do it. It's difficult. Yes, it stings. It hurts. But there's such a weight that gets lifted off your shoulders when you're able to look to somebody and say, I forgive you. Or even saying, I'm sorry for hurting you. Or, I'm, I forgive you for what you might have done to me. And that, was, that's, that just resonated with me when I thought about my mother. Because if it wasn't for that time, if it wasn't for my mother teaching me to, to live out the Christian walk, I, that wouldn't make sense to me. It would, I wouldn't understand it. I wouldn't be here today. She was always the one, she'd actually be the one to, to push me in the back and to, to do the soundboard and all those things. She says, go do it. You, you're good at that stuff. Just do it. Just do it. And I'm like, I don't want to, but she pushed me. And when she pushed me, I learned. And when I learned, I got interested in God. And when I got interested in God, I'm like, maybe I could do this pastor thing. Maybe I could be a pastor too. And I'm like, maybe I could do that. And that's, that's what it's all about. It's about forgiveness. It's so important that we are called to forgive. We are called holy and beloved. We are called to forgive. And then what we put on top of this that comes afterwards is we are called to love. We see that in verse 14. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in in perfect harmony. See, when we have love, all of those things follow. Humility, patience, bearing with one another, love, kind-heartedness, all of those things follow because it comes natural. So just like forgiveness should be natural for a Christian when we're hurt and when, we're, when we have been hurt by somebody, love should also be natural. Love should also come and, and something that we are called to so that just comes naturally together with it. When we put on love, all these attributes come into practice. We put on this brotherly love, not this romantic love, but this love of friendship. Because the word, like I said there, similar to, to beloved, is not agape, but it is actually agape. It's brotherly love. He talks about that agape word. He talks about that brotherly love that's there and that's just so resonating inside of you, that should be so close to you, that when you see that person and you, and you notice that person, you just want to give them a hug because they're, they're a person in the faith. I mean, you think about it. Have you ever met another Christian in, in just your random walk or a random store and you think about it, you walk in and you find out they're a Christian or maybe a coworker that you find out that's a Christian and you're like, wait, wait, so, so do you know this? Or, or like all of a sudden you just become like the best of friends. Because you share that brotherly love. You share that agape with them. The thing is, is that that's not solely just for the brotherly love. It's not solely just for the Christian. It should also be for the people around us, the people that are not Christians. So he talks about that friendship. It's difficult to do those attributes. It's difficult to be humble. It's difficult to be 
uh, kind, to be patient, to bear with one another without love. Because it covers all of it. It, it, it wraps everything up. If you, in a manner of speaking, if you ever gave a present and you put a little bow on it, that's love. The bow is the love. Because it just wraps everything all together and makes, it gives it this nice little presentation. Even Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, 1 to 3, If I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I have nothing. Because without love, you can have all of these spiritual gifts, you can have all of these abilities, all of these things, but you're just making a really loud noise. And that noise is not pleasing to God, because it's just noise. It's exactly that. Because without love, that's what it is, noise. Without love, people can't do life together. It becomes difficult to do life together when you don't have love, when you think about that. Aren't you a little bit more receptive when somebody comes up to you and says, in love, or in a, in a manner of kindness, and says that you did something wrong? Isn't it, aren't you a little bit more receptive and you're like, oh, okay, that makes sense. I, I can definitely change or I can definitely fix that next time. Versus somebody coming at you and saying, hey, you did this wrong and it hurt me and I don't like it. And they accuse you and they come at you in anger. You're a little bit more receptive with love, with kindness, with humility. We all respond differently when someone, does, when someone comes with you, comes from a position of love versus a, a position of anger. Pastor Travis said a quote a few weeks ago, and he talked about the Christian army and saying the Christian army is the only, pers- the only army that shoots its wounded. And to me, like, I've heard that before and, 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 other, and other sermons, but it, for whatever reason, it hit me, and I was just like, wow. And especially going through this, and we are called to love, and yet we'll nitpick the smallest thing that happens. That, that, that may be something that we don't like because it, it hurt our feelings or hurt part of, our, our, part of something that we believe in or whatever. So we shouldn't be like that. When one, of, when one of our, if you want to say, one of our comrades fall, or one of our comrades are wounded, we should also be wounded. Paul talks about that as well. We should also feel that pain. We should also come around them, lift them up, and see them through it. That's the biggest thing. That's how we should live life. Because when we live life together, when we, when we come together and we walk with our wounded, we live stronger together. I have written down here is that we, we are called to love and we are meant not only to love the sinner and the person that's not a Christian, but also the person that sits in front of you and that's sitting beside you and the people that come into this church. And, and please, don't get me wrong, it's not, nothing against you, it's just something in general as a, as a church as a whole, not just this church, I mean all churches, is that we should love the people that sit beside us, no matter what their walk of life may look like. And I'll be the first one to tell you, when, when my wife and I came here in February, 
we, we were welcomed here with open arms. I told Travis, I said, I said, this was the first church that I actually felt immediately like home. And it was great. It was a wonderful feeling. I had a teacher that used to say, we love God as much as we love the least unlovable person in our life. And you think about that. And you might, it might be a little difficult to understand that when I say it, because it's like, so when the, the person that you don't like the most in your life or the person that really just kind of rubs you the wrong way and you see them either in church or see them at work and you just kind of go the other way, though that's how much, those are the people you, that's how much you show God's love. Those are the, how much love you have for God. And I had a teacher that said that and it, and it rocked me when I was in school because I was like, wait a minute. So you're saying that one student that I used to see in class and then I used to be like, oh, I'm not going to sit next to them because I don't want to. That's how much love I had for God. Think about a couple coworkers that I, I have. So I, Pastor Travis also said something and talked about me at Starbucks. I, I just got promoted to assistant manager at Starbucks. Um, and there's a couple coworkers that I can think about that are a little tough to work with. <laughs> As you can probably imagine, everybody has everybody has those coworkers, and occasionally I joke around and I say it's a little bit like babysitting when when I'm when I'm the assistant manager or the shift supervisor because I have to make sure that they're doing the job properly and that things are getting done. I was telling my wife yesterday, I, I had somebody clean the bathrooms and I and I go in to use the bathroom and the bathroom was still filthy, the toilet was still dirty, the mirrors were dirty, and the sink was dirty. So I go I go in there and I'm like, okay, know what to do next time. I need to make sure I babysit a little bit better. So I go in there and I clean it myself and everything like that. But I think about those coworkers and I'm like, so the love that I show to them is how much I love God. As I was thinking about that this week, so the love that I give to them and how much I teach them, how much I walk with them, how much I try to, to, for them to learn is how much I love God. The time I spend with them, the time I spend consoling, and if, if you want to use the word discipling, is how much I love God and how much I want to be with God and how much I'm willing to walk with God. Because what you have to understand is that our relationship with people is just as important as our relationship with God. Obviously, more so, even. Because when we have our relationship with God, it overflows, and you'll see it with people, and I'll, I'll get back to that in a second. And there's another thing that Paul says we are called to. And in verse 15, we are called to be peacemakers. That's a little difficult sometimes because sometimes for some people it's easier to be always ready to fight and always ready to be in a fight or always ready to, to be on the defense. But sometimes you got to walk into a room and bring the peace. Sometimes you have to walk into a room and be the peacemaker. So verse 15, and let the peace of Christ Rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Now that was the ESV version. I read it also in the NIV, and that actually, to me, was a little bit more uh, favorable, a little bit kind of made a little bit more sense. So let me read that in the, the NIV version. It says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. See, as followers of Christ, peace should follow us. Peace should walk with us. 
And peace should, should surround us when we walk into a room. Because you notice when we're worshiping God and we're giving him honor, we're giving him glory, there, there's something in this room that all of a sudden everything changes. The, 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 the argument you had with your wife or your husband when you first came in here or that little thing that happened when you first came in or that really hungry growl that you had in your stomach before you first came in here is all of a sudden gone because the peace of Christ is here and that's what you need. The peace of God is here and that's what we need. Jesus says at the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons and daughters of God. So how important it is for us to, to make peace, to provide peace for people. I had a coworker um, when I f- was working at a different store, came up to me and goes, what is it that when you walk into a room, everything just seems to make sense or fall into line or everything all of a sudden becomes peaceful? I said, that's, that's my, my faith. That's, it's Jesus Christ. Because I walk with him, I follow him, that peace follows as well. I said, that's what it is. And they, they didn't fully understand. They're like, okay, whatever. And they just kept on walking. I'm like, all right, fine. That's good. <laughs> um, little baby steps, right? Um, if we are sons and daughters of God, peace should be with us. Peace should follow us. We should provide peace to people. And the peace come, that peace comes from the Holy Spirit. Pastor Travis has been talking about in Acts and talking about the Holy Spirit and the, the works of the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit can do. And one of the biggest things is peace. Travis preached on the Holy Spirit and how Jesus had to leave so a comforter and a power could come down and how a comforter and a power would, would come. That power and that comforter was the Holy Spirit, whom lives inside of us. I'm going to get a a little vulnerable. So, like I said, my mother struggled with forgiveness. I get get a a lot of ideas from my mother because, like I said, I was very close to her. You can definitely call me a mama's boy because I was very, very close with her. Um, So she struggled with forgiveness. But she uh, always taught me to forgive, even though it was hard for her to forgive. The thing is, is that she passed away in November, November to November 4th of last year. And that was tough. But the thing is, is that it wasn't just my mother that passed away. We were expecting my grandmother to pass away. My grandmother wasn't doing well. She was in hospice care and she, and she, they gave her a week to live about what, a year and a half ago, a year and a half. And she lasted a year and a half. <laughs> so she, she was a fighter. And she pulled through a few weeks earlier. My, uh, my wife and I went down to go see my grandmother because we knew she wasn't doing well. She was on the, the last bit. She, was, she stopped eating near the end of her life. And we're driving with my mom, and my mom's going, I don't know how I'm going to do it without my mom. She goes, I don't know how I'm going to do it. And I'm like, Ma, you're going to be fine. We're going to do this together. We're going we're gonna to work this out together. Well, at 3 o'clock in the morning on November 4th, I get a phone call from my father thinking, oh, my grandmother passed away, so I guess I'm going to have to call out of work and, and drive down. Then I get another phone call from my father. I'm like, okay, weird. Obviously, Dad, I know, I know Grandma's not doing well. She passed away. Then I get a phone call from my cousin, and I'm like, uh-oh, this isn't good. I, I had, I, something just dropped in the pit of my stomach. And um, 
I got that phone call and my dad is hysterical. And all he's saying is, Joshua, Joshua, I'm sorry. And I'm like, and I didn't have to listen to the rest. Because the next voicemail was, she passed away. She's gone. And I lost it. And I woke up my wife and I said, my mom just died. She goes, you mean your grandma, right? I'm like, no, my mom just passed away. And she goes, holy cow. So obviously I had a list of people. This was on a Saturday night. Um, and my wife and I were working at a church at the time. And I called the pastor first thing, because obviously I had to be at, at church on Sunday. I said, uh, we're not going to be there. My grandmother and my mother passed away. Completely calm. And he goes, what? I'm like, yes. You heard me. I said it right. That's it. Done. I called my father. He's hysterical. I'm like, we're coming. Don't worry. We're on our way. We'll be there in, a, in five hours. They live in New York. We'll be there. And then the next, the next call was to my boss just saying, hey, I'm not going to be at work for at least a week. Just so you know, this is what's going on. Boom, boom, boom. Mother, grandmother passed away. And they were like, oh, yeah, sure. Don't worry about it. We got it covered. So thankfully, I had great people around me to kind of console me with that. So we're driving down. And it's hit me. I, I've, I've been, in a manner of speaking, I've been kind of prepared for my mother to pass away for a little while. And she, like I said, she's been very dear to me. But it was, I, was, I was there, and I'm, we're driving down, and we're just listening to worship music. And we're just letting God's peace fill the car and fill our hearts because I knew what I was about to walk into. I knew the hysteria of my family that was going to happen because for everybody else, my mom, I, sh I should say rather, my mom and my father were like second mothers and fathers to, to a lot of my family. My mother was one of 10, and so those 10 had at least three kids, and some of those kids would either stay with us or would always be with us. You can vouch for my, 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 mom, my, my wife when she first met my family. She said they all looked alike, and they all looked similar, and I told her there's going to be a test at the end, but she, she didn't like that. Um, but we were going down, and I knew it was going to be hard, so I'm like, God, just let your peace follow us. Let your peace be with us. We're worshiping, we're singing. There was one song that came on, and <laughs> both my wife and I are crying. We're like, dang it, stop, stop doing that. Come on, just keep on going, just keep on driving, because I didn't want to have to pull over. But God's peace covered us. It's like what Paul says in Philippians 4, 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. At that very moment, I felt that peace and I understood it. At that very moment, when my whole life was shaken and that whole, my, my whole world was flipped upside down, I saw God's peace and I understood it. And that peace followed us into that place. And everybody would look at, look at me and they'd just hug me and they all of a sudden just start crying because they felt God's peace. They felt this, the peace of the Holy Spirit when, that, when I embraced them. Because when we walk into a room, we become those peacemakers. We become that peace for some people. And then when I came back to work a week later, all my coworkers were expecting me to be angry or sad and all of a sudden burst into tears. And they're looking at me and they're like, didn't your mom pass away? Didn't, and because and, to them, I only said my mom passed away. They said, didn't your mom pass away? I'm like, actually, my mom and my grandmother passed away. And they're like, how are, wait, what? How? They're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. How, how are you so calm? 
How are you just, how are you? I'm like, this is what I was talking about. The peace of God was there. I'm like, this is the peace that I felt. I'm like, I know she's in a better place. She's free from all of the pain, all the heartache, all the, the stress that she had. I, I told, I used to say to my wife, I'm like, my mom had every sickness under the sun except for a paper cut because she, she struggled with her, sick, with her sickness. And when I knew she was in heaven, praising God, she was free. And that brought me peace. That brought me peace. And when people looked at that, they just, what? That doesn't make any sense. I don't understand. But slowly, you explain. You become that light. You become that peace. Because we are called holy and beloved. We are called to love. We are called to forgive. We are called to be peacemakers. We are called. And the thing is, it's not just some of us. All of us are called. Every single person in this room is called. Wherever you set your foot, wherever you walk outside of these four walls, you are called there. You are called to walk and be that light. You are called to provide that love. You are called to be peacemakers. You are called to be holy and beloved, set apart. You are called to love. So as the worship team comes up to kind of close us out, I'm going to just kind of share another story. (laughs) I have to be honest. After my mom passed away, I didn't know, I didn't know where we were going to go. I didn't know where my wife and I were going to be. It was a, it's honestly a total surprise and a blessing to be up here today because this is not where I expected myself. I got to say, this is, to me, in my big picture this is not what I saw. And please understand, when I say my big picture, this is not what I saw. But God had a bigger plan. God had a better picture. God had a, had a different idea in, his, in, in my life. Because, like I said, I was working at a church when my mom passed away. My wife and I came here three years ago to, to plant a church in Westbrook. And the senior pastor's wife passed maybe two years or three years into that, into the church plant, she had cancer, and we were, we were holding, we were holding strong and trying to do our best. And when my mom passed away and my grandmother passed away, I looked at the pastor and I said, "I think we should probably close it because we hadn't seen any growth. We were bo- we were both working full time, forty hours at another job, and then we were doing the pastoring stuff, and it was exhausting." And I said, "I, I, I don't think." We should keep on going. And he said, I was hoping you'd say that because I didn't want to say it. I'm like, all right, cool. So we're on the same page. So December 31st was the end of when we closed the church. So January, my wife and I are in limbo because we're thinking, oh God, did we make a mistake? Did we just move up here for no reason? Did we just come up here just out of a whim? And, And then we found out maybe my, we found out that my dad wasn't doing well. Because obviously my mom passing away, he's obviously taking it a little bit harder. But when my, my, my father, his health wasn't necessarily the best. And we're like, well, maybe, I, well, I should say, I thought to myself, maybe we should um, move back with my dad, help him out, and we could be back down in New York. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to say anything unless the boss says so. Please understand when I say the boss, I'm talking about my wife. I'm not talking about God. 
I said, I said, I'm not going to say anything unless she says so. And my wife goes, looks over at me. I really miss my mom. She's also back in New York. Maybe we should move back. And I'm like, I was like, okay, this is, this is, this is, this is good. We're on the same page. Maybe this, the, maybe this is what God wants us to do. And then I was just like, all right, let's start taking the steps. Let's, let's maybe look at how much it is to move back to New York. Let's check out maybe um, the different job situations over there and everything like that. And she looks at, she's, she looks at me and we're like, okay, yeah, this sounds like a good idea. So we then started telling, uh, we started coming here in February, started telling some of the, um, some close friends of ours here at the church saying, this is kind of where we're at, and this is what we're thinking. I actually filled out one of these connection cards, and I wrote, and I said, prayer on what God wants us to do next, because I didn't know. And then we started telling our friends, the Wallens, we said, we're thinking about moving back to New York, and this is, this is where we're at, and this is what's going on. And they're like, okay, okay. And then we were like, all right, let's tell Pastor Travis and his wife and, and, and let them know this is what we want to do. And we're all excited. We're like, we're feeling really good. And we're walking in. We tell them, and this is the conversation. And all of a sudden, we're like, this is a bad idea. We, we got a big pit in our stomach when we, when we told Pastor Travis and Kristen. It wasn't because anything they said, because they, they were like, that sounds great. If that's what God wants, it sounds awesome. You should do it. You should definitely do it. But then all of a sudden, my wife and I looked at each other. We, were, we took separate cars <laughs> and um, <laughs> I was like, I wanted to call her. She was already on the phone with her mom and the car. And I'm like, dang it, dang it. I need to talk to her. I need to talk to her. And, uh, and we get back home and I'm like, we're definitely making a wrong mistake. Because I told, I told Ian and I told Travis, I said, Travis, I said the hardest thing that's going to be is actually leaving the church. Because like I said, when we came here in February, you guys welcomed us with open arms. We felt that love. We felt that peace. And we felt that this place was set apart for something different. <laughs> and, and, that's, and we looked at each other and says, nope, we're not moving. He says, we're not done here yet. We are still called here for whatever reason. We are still called here because God wants something more of us. So I told Travis my heartbeat, and I, this is the things I shared with him. And then all of a sudden, like I said, I got a promotion with, with work, and then my, my wife got a new job, and, and things just began to unroll, and we're like, yeah, this is definitely where we're supposed to be. This is definitely where we're supposed to be. And that peace just followed. Sometimes you have to think about that. Sometimes you have to think about how holy and beloved you are to God. How set apart and true and how divinely dearly loved you are to him. Sometimes you have to forgive because the only way we'll, forget, we'll get forgiveness is if we forgive others and how important that is and how difficult it is, but how freely it should be given. And above all else, we got to love because when we love, everything else follows. We have to love like I said, not romantically, but more in a friendship, more as a brotherly love and a place where we can be and hold each other up when things get hard, when we get, when somebody else is wounded, when somebody else is hurting, we build each other up and be peace. Walk into a room, be prepared and be able to bring that peace amongst the conflict. 
pray to God and say, this is what I want. This is my heartbeat. And let that peace follow you. And bring that peace into the room when you walk in it and watch the atmosphere change. Watch things change because God moves and things change. In our situation, nothing really changed, but our perspective changed because God changed our perspective and the way we'd see things.